Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. So this evening, I'm sat with Varun Raghavan, COO and co-founder of Princeton Digital Group. Now, before I introduce Varun, I wanted to say a little bit about why I'm so excited to have him join me. The Accelerating Careers podcast has been growing very, very quickly in the six months we've been live. It already has a global audience, but the guests have been mostly some of my closest connections. And as a consequence, they've been all close to London. Now, we've got a growing audience in the US and Asia, and in the coming weeks, I'm really glad to be joined by guests who are based in these countries. Now, I want to hear how their careers have developed. Are the challenges universal, no matter where you're based? Or are there unique lessons that we can maybe all learn from people who've been dealing in different geographies and different cultures? So, Varun, thank you very much for joining me today. Now, obviously, the title of our podcast is Accelerating Careers in Real Estate. Now, it's only the latter part of your career, of course, that's been focused in, in real estate. So I'll be really interested to see, again, what we might be able to learn and benefit from as a consequence. But you're clearly firmly based in real estate now. I normally start with the beginning of your story. But today, I thought I'd turn this on its head and just ask you to give us a little bit of an insight, maybe as a teaser, just tell us in terms of where your career has got you to at this stage. And then we'll, we'll wind the clock back and go back to chapter one. Nick, thanks for having me uh, on this podcast. Very excited to speak to you. And hopefully my experiences are helpful to your audience. To give you a little sense of what I'm doing right now, uh, as, you, as you asked for, Nick, at this point, I'm a co-founder and chief operating officer of Princeton Digital Group. Uh, Princeton Digital Group is a venture that me and my co-founder started with Warburg Pincus, uh, the global private equity firm, three years ago. And in the last three years, we've built a multi-country data center business headquartered in Singapore. Um, we've also recently raised capital from Ontario Teachers, uh, which I'm sure you and your audience knows is a marquee investor as well. So now we are partnered with both Warburg as well as Ontario. Incredible. And now I've read this from your website in terms of the, in such a short period of time, you have, you have amassed a rather impressive portfolio haven't you let's let's put a bit of, bit of numbers to this in terms of the num number of sites you've, you've been able to amass with uh, with princeton sure so nick in the, the last three years we've uh, across four countries we've put together 18 projects and these add up to 350 megawatts uh, so in the data center business we talk about capacity in megawatt terms as well out of these 18 projects 10 are in operations and the other eight are in various uh, stages of development and the reason that we've been able to put together such a large number of projects in such a short period of time is that we uh, have a multi-pronged strategy. So we do acquisitions, carve-outs from telecom companies, as well as greenfield development. And that combination, as well as the ability to expand across multiple countries, has allowed us to amass these number of sites in such a short period of time. Now, what you mentioned about megawatts there, I think sort of another metric that a lot of our audience will be familiar with is gross development value. Is that is that still relevant in the data center world? It, it is and it isn't, Nick. Uh, the reason it isn't is that it's not something that a lot of people disclose. 
Also, it's a function of what your valuation of the business is. So at least in the data center business, we generally talk in megawatt terms. Uh, it is something that's not super sensitive, but at the same time, it gives you a good sense of the scale of the business. All right. Then. Well, I'll see if I can get any more sort of um, exclusives from you as we go along. Um, <laughs> but I, I promise to, to, to wind the clock back. So let's, let's go back to chapter one. Where does, the, where does your career begin? Sure. So, Nick, I actually started my career in the UK, in London. And so I, I, I did my education in, in India. And my, for my first job, for my sins, um, you know, I, I was uh, given a role in the UK. And uh, for me, so that, that chapter was three years. And I lived in Camden Town. So you can imagine the, the bohemian lifestyle that I had at the beginning of my career. But that's where it all started. Why London? So uh, when I started my career, one of the things I wanted to do, uh, Nick, and, and like a lot of Indians of my generation, I I was in education or I was studying for a very long period of time. So I did a graduation in engineering and then I did an MBA without any work experience. So by the time I finished my education, I was I was literally begging to work. Uh, you know, I, I wanted the the dynamic and messy nature of real world problems and I wanted to be paid for solving them. And I thought that uh, the most interesting problem for me to solve would be uh, to be in a country that I've never done business in, uh, to be in a sector that I've never worked in, uh, and to be in a function that I, you know, is, is seemed quite complex and difficult to me. So therefore, working in Europe and particularly in London, in telecom and in sales uh, seemed to be the right kind of a challenge to start with, uh, to sort of state the appetite uh, for, you know, for the messiness that I was looking for. Well, I'd, I look forward to seeing if this if this trend continues throughout your career. And I think to anyone listening now who just who's just said, you know, you wanted your first job to be as complex and as challenging as you could imagine by sort of having those those sort of three pronged sort of challenges. And it's going to be quite interesting to see. So do you remember what you aspired to be or, or necessarily sort of what your original ambitions were when you started that London career? Sure. So my original ambition, Nick, uh, was always to be uh, running a business and and I would stop myself from defining my aspiration in any more specific terms uh, because I've always wanted to give myself the the ability to be dynamic and how we make decisions and how we go along and and through this conversation I also talk about the various decisions I've made at pivotal points in my career uh, I, I tend to give myself enough flexibility uh, so that I can take opportunities that come my way that I've not planned for so the aspiration was to run a business uh, and and the start of the London tenure if you will, uh, was to understand the pointy end of business, which is when you do sales and when customers buy your services. Uh, because I felt like in any business that you build and you run, uh, you need to understand, you know, sales and how customers buy, how customers behave, etc. So that was the idea there. Now that's a very mature view. And were you as mature as that when you were starting your career, or have you have you learned that in hindsight? No, so I hear the note of skepticism in your uh, in your voice, Nick. Uh, the real reason I went to London uh, was because I was an Arsenal fan. Uh, I didn't want to bring I didn't want to bring that up uh, because I'm still an Arsenal fan, uh, long suffering. Uh, but, but yeah, but but when I started my career, I was already in sort of my um, uh, you know early twenties, and and um, I had had a little bit of uh, guidance and mentorship from folks. So. I was able to be somewhat, um, somewhat deliberate about what I wanted to do, um, and and you know maybe it comes across as sort of maturity, but at that point of time it just felt uh, logical and felt like there was a rational framework to what I was attempting to do. So that was the idea at that point. Okay, um, where did you get inspiration from? Do you think for wanting to to run a business? 
So uh, it's funny, you know, when I was uh, when I was young, uh, Nick, one of the things that uh, that was a little hard to get to in the small town in India where I grew up was uh, quality nonfiction books. And so I would, whatever I would get, I would buy it. And these would be secondhand copies and I would read them and I would read anything. Uh, so one of the books that really uh, struck a note uh, at that time, and this was when I was, you know, probably in eighth grade, uh, was the autobiography of Lee Iacocca, who many people will not remember who he is now, but he used to be the, the president of Ford at one point. And, uh, and he ran Chrysler, uh, particularly through some, some very interesting times uh, in the U.S. So that book uh, had an outsized um, uh, impact on how I thought about life and what I wanted to do. Uh, so really, the uh, you know, I would say that if I had to point to one inspiration, I'd, I'd say it's that book. Uh, I've forgotten most of the book now, by the way, but, um, but, but the inspiration remains. Well, it served its purpose. It has. Um, so in those three years then in, in London, what do you... What do you remember as being sort of your biggest lessons you learned? So for me, the, the biggest uh, one was having a target that you have to achieve, right? I mean, this is one thing that I think a lot of people through their careers, you know, don't get comfortable with. And for me, uh, just as someone who is so callow as I was then with no experience, uh, to have the ability to sort of have a target and then figure out how to meet, match that, meet that target or beat it uh, was really the biggest learning. And that so early in my career gave me has given me the ability that when I see a number that I have to uh, meet, whether that's you know sales, that's cost reduction, that's investments, or you know value creation, uh, I just feel I don't feel that that nervousness that I, I imagine some people feel. But that early in my career uh, was a big uh, you know sort of big learning for me, and and uh, I really value that. Okay. So I'm, I'm keen to know in terms of how, how these next stages of your career developed. But before before we move on, I said, um, and I sort of, uh, I joked at the start that you, you've really carved yourself out a, a real problem by your own making in terms of uh, challenge that you wanted to start that career. How did that go? How, how did those first three years and how successful were you? The challenge was, uh, as, you, as you rightly pointed out, across three dimensions. And I'd say that the challenge of working in a, in a foreign country of, you know, someone who had essentially never been outside the country except like a couple of times, you know, for short trips. I think that was probably the easiest and the most fun. So just going to London as a young man and living there, uh, you know, by myself and sort of getting into the culture of the city. I, I think that was probably the relatively the least complex. I said easy, but I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was definitely something that, uh, you know, I was not swimming against the tide. A lot of people do this, right? So I was one of many of the many of the young people who you know start to try to make their career in the in the UK from different backgrounds. So so that was uh, you know that was uh, relatively easy. Uh, the the part about telecom and understanding the telecom sector was also not that difficult, particularly because you know the kind of solutions we were providing was relatively simple. Uh, and I was an engineer uh, before I was an MBA, uh, so that made it easy for me. I think the hardest part of it was sales uh, and uh, getting to grip with that and making sure that I'm successful, particularly in an alien environment. And and that was a, um, you know, to be honest, it, it those three years were great for my confidence because, you know, this was 2006 to 2009, just before the financial crisis, but as the financial crisis started. But uh, there was a lot of technology, IT and telecom spending happening, particularly in Europe. And I got the opportunity to participate in that, which, you know, which always obviously helped my numbers and, uh, you know, made me look like a star and made me feel like one as well. Okay. Well, you, you said something interesting then. Before, before we moved on, you mentioned about an element of a rising tide there and some sort of um, IT and telecom sort of spending uh, ever increasing. So 
that's helped your numbers, but presumably it's helped all your colleagues' numbers. Why? What were you doing different that made you set yourself apart? One of the things that I did then, Nick, and also is something that I um, I hold very dear to myself is what I call first principles thinking, which is whenever you see a problem or you know you see something that needs to be done, one way is to do it exactly like someone else is doing it, and that's not wrong. Uh, and in a lot of things, that's right. But uh, in other uh, in uh, another way to do this is to try to figure out from first principles what's the right thing to do. Now you can't do this when you're trying to fly a plane or uh, or you know do surgery. But uh, but luckily I, I you know I've tried neither. But in trying to run a business, in trying to build uh, you know uh, build a customer book to do acquisitions, etc., this approach does work. So I think one thing that has uh, uh, that held me in good stead then and and has uh, since as well is the ability to look at problems and and opportunities from first principles and try to come up with an approach that makes sense for me in that context. Okay. Well, I hope we get a chance to spend a bit more time on uh, on that. So. Moving forward, so we know, we know this is the, the the chapter in the UK comes to an end in, in two thousand and nine, and then it, they start then a new chapter. So, I think we choose or we find that new chapters um, occur is that when we go looking to learn something new. Was that the case for you in two thousand and nine? So the reason I moved in two thousand nine, Nick, uh, was because I was um, my wife now, but my girlfriend then. We had had a long distance relationship for three years. And we decided we want to get married. And she was at a stage of her career where uh, being in India made the most sense. So therefore, I decided to move from London to India because of that reason. Uh, so I was able to convert that opportunity into, into something very interesting, which is although I'd worked in sales and sales leadership at that point in my career, uh, when I moved to India, I took on a corporate development and M&A role within the same company, Tata Communications. And, um, but that was sort of secondary. The primary reason was personal. Uh, but in the transition, it just happened that happened to be the case that you know I, I got an opportunity that that then had a lot of lot to do with my further development. Well, it sounds like an even more important sort of a reason for that move rather than just learning. So tell us a bit more. How did, how did those early days back in India go, and how easy a transition was it from from having someone who'd who'd now sort of grown up in terms of their career in London returning back to a career in India? I think the, the reverse culture shock was quite uh, quite significant, Nick. You know, I was I had gotten used to expensive coffee, uh, and in India, you you know, at that stage there wasn't any Starbucks or anything of that sort. You can't really pay more than uh, more than a few dollars for coffee. So that's that's a joke, but but that was you know one of the reasons that that I got uh, you know. But but just coming back to uh, India was quite difficult, and I'd never although I'm an Indian and you know I, I spent all my life in India, I never worked in India before, so I had to sort of relearn a lot of my habits and how I function. The biggest difference for me in terms of my work was that I had come from an environment where I had a very specific number to hit, which I knew all the time. And if I hit that number and if I was doing well, I knew I was doing well. But when I moved to India to run the corporate development, corporate strategy team, I was suddenly in an environment where it's hard to quantify uh, what is good, what is success, and to know that you're being successful. Uh, So that was quite challenging for me uh, when I got back to India. Um, and why is that? Why is there not not a specific number? Because when you when you're doing uh, you know, it's particularly in large organizations, Nick, when you're doing uh, activities like corporate strategy and corporate you know M and A and development, is that you're essentially enabling the organization to make good quality decisions, and and you're also making good quality decisions in that. And some of these good quality decisions or right decisions are about not doing things. So not making an acquisition is as important 
and in some situations more important than making an acquisition, right? Now, how do you measure that in actual numbers? It's very difficult to do that. So uh, you end up in a situation where the quality of what you're doing is much more important sometimes than the actual quantitative outcome of what you're doing. And that at that stage of my career was a uh, was still a relatively early stage of my career it was quite a learning to uh, transition into a role like that. So where did you get your motivation from? What what drove you then if if these sort of the goalposts have, have moved? The main motivation for me was as I was taking a step back and looking at how I could use this and leverage this opportunity to make myself a better candidate for building a business and running my own business, right? Okay. So I'd done sales, I had engaged with customers, but now I was getting into the guts of the business, understanding how uh, investment investment processes work, how debt raising works, uh, how do you think about uh, valuation, et cetera, uh, as well as try and do deals or not do deals as the case may be. I think that for me, that uh, the motivation of that, that brought something additional to me, which was valuable to me, was, was the most important. Okay. Let's talk about obstacles. So you've come, you've come back from London then as being a, a top salesman. You've now secured a, a, a great job back, back in the Indian business. And you're, you've been able then to develop how to respond to these, sort of the, these new tasks. But can't all have gone this smoothly, can it, at this, at this point? What, do you remember what your sort of greatest obstacle was at this, at this early part of your career? So the, the, uh, I think the greatest obstacle uh, for me, Nick, uh, was... Um... The early part of the career in particular was, um, and, and I know this now, I didn't quite know that then, was the drive to be the smartest person in the room. And, and that, I, you know, I realized as, you know, early days, you know, you're kind of um, seen as being precocious in your career, right? And people give you the room to be that. But as you grow more senior, what you want to do is sometimes take a step back and allow other people to shine uh, in meetings, in, in situations, you know, and customer meetings as well, for instance. Um, as well as any any kind of um, uh, engagement. And that for me, you know, understanding that, learning that, creating an environment where not just me, but my team, and I had a fairly large team at that stage, had the opportunity to shine and not just be sort of, um, you know, support characters in the Varun Raghavan band was quite important, right? So, and that, uh, for me, that was, a, a, the, the obstacle was understanding that and getting over it. But, I, you know, I, I was again lucky to have, you know, strong mentors around me, folks who gave me feedback and, you know, sort of called me on my shit. Uh, and that allowed me to get to a stage where, uh, you know, I was able to overcome the obstacle. But I, obstacle. But if I had not done that, not realized that or not done that, I think, uh, you know, it would have had a significant impact on the trajectory of my career. Okay. And, uh, and my next question was then going to be about who, who helped you most. And you mentioned then to your mentors. How did they help you? Yeah, you know, I, I like to... I like to get advice from people, Nick. I like to ask questions. I like to sort of open up and say, hey, I have this problem. Can you help me? And that's been something that uh, that I've done from sort of very early in my career. And and the folks who have been the most helpful to me are the, are the people who, who, are, who help me provide a longer-term perspective. So people who have like 20, 30 years more uh, experience than I do, they are able to look at whatever problem I'm facing or whatever question I have in, in a long, longer-term perspective. And that's been the most useful for me, talking to people who are at a completely different stage in their career and be able to get advice from them and learn from them. Okay. So, so far, we're establishing a very, very successful career, two different geographies, but it's, it's not yet in real estate. We know how the story sort of is in the present day. 
I now I'm keen to try and see sort of the the earlier steps that you made to make that happen. Was it happening as early as this and in India? Yes. Um, in fact, at this point, when I just moved in, started doing corporate development, about a couple of years into that is when, you know, the initial parts of the journey that, that culminates into where we are today started. And so one of the things that I'd like to say about data centers, Nick, is that it's a combination of TMT, that's telecom, media, and technology, and real estate, right? So it's both because you're providing a real estate solution which has a technical element to customers who are not real estate consumers. They're not using, they're not buying your service as a real estate customer, right? So that combination as uh, in a way has, uh, has also been reflected in my career because until this point in my career, I was completely TMT and I had no real estate experience. But around this time, my company started to think about, the company that I was in started to think about carving out the data center business that, uh, that it, it together through a series of acquisitions and start to see if we could get external investment. And I was uh, made responsible as part of senior executive in the firm uh, to, to carve out that business and run that business. So this is when in India is around this time is when I started to get the opportunity to do that. Okay, everyone. So I, I understand now about sort of, you know, where, where that career is heading and that combination of, if you mentioned TMT and real estate, but why? What were you looking for or what, or what was driving you towards uh, those two industries meeting? Sure. So, Nick, um, I'd love to say that, um, you know, I, I, I did a macro analysis and I found that this was the best uh, best opportunity and I went into that. But that's not how it worked worked out. You know, as, as, um, as you know, most of the time career decisions are a combination of planning and luck. And this was also something of that nature. Essentially, what happened, Nick, at that time was that in the data center business, the India part of the data center business, a lot of the large technology companies started to look at capacity in India because they were expanding their cloud business in India. And in our business, we call these technology companies hyperscalers. Uh, these are companies like Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Alibaba, Tencent, etc. And so around this time, this is I'm talking about you know 2011, 2012 a lot of the hyperscalers started to look at India and see if they could build a presence there. And we were, uh, as Startup Communications, the company that I was running, the data center business, we were in the right place in the right time to be considered a potential partner for their expansion in India. So that opportunity, get to know how hyperscalers think about the market, how they think about entering a new market, and how we could potentially serve them, uh, you know, was a uh, was was an extremely interesting uh, learning opportunity. But more importantly, I could see the opportunity work, uh, you know, play out in front of my eyes. You know, sometimes when you look at big numbers, it's hard to realize what they are unless you live it. And I got a chance to live it. I got a chance to live the growth of hyperscalers in the first wave of entering into an exciting emerging market like India. And that sort of uh, set my set the tone for you know for the rest of my life uh, till now. Um, I think that's really interesting what you what you said then about this spectrum of happenstance or sort of good or good luck and the sort of ultra planned uh, decisions because I think there's a trend here emerging of all the people who are, who I've interviewed now and we talk about their careers you know they always talk about luck they always talk about it was just the right time for this to happen it can't it just can't be sheer dumb luck can it. There must be something about you, Varun, and, and about sort of the my other guests that 
you seem to recognize these opportunities that others might allow them to pass them by or or you are a greater risk taker than others and you're willing to grab onto it what do you think it might be i think one of the things that nick i would i would say is that um uh, I sort of use the term range so when you do different things and we have a range of things that you end up doing uh, what it allows you to do is it gives you the opportunity to be uh, to maximize your chances of hitting on that one thing that that is a lucky lucky area of success right so in my case during this time when i was in india obviously I ran corporate development i you know ran the data center business but uh, within this time i also actually took a year off and went and worked for the indian government embedded inside the government and that has not led to anything like there's no uh, i mean that has not resulted in a great outcome in my career but it could have so i think my sort of um, response would be that if you try different things particularly um, try them seriously and with commitment there is a higher chance of being successful or finding that thing that you're going to be successful on uh, but there is an element of luck maybe not dumb luck maybe sort of semi sophisticated luck <laughs> but there is an element of that as well uh, that we cannot deny Um, I like the idea of being open, open to to trying new things and to, until you find that success. I think there might be something in that. Um, right, sorry, back to your case, however. So, tell us a bit more sort of about about what's happening now, and and maybe if you can give us a bit of a time stamp in terms of where where we're at in terms of this career. So, Nick, um, in in this is around 2012 uh, when I was uh, you know running the data center business, and at this stage. the the business was buried inside uh, tata communications and in, inside a large telco uh, so the first step was to separate this business and make that independent uh, from outside of this you know the the behemoth uh, make it into an independent company and get it to a stage where we could get external capital whether that was a minority or a majority investment and very very early in that process we realized that a telco like tata communications had no business investing in a data center business because data centers require a lot of capital which have a very different economic return than what a telco's core business is and so it the answer became uh, very early in that process that we would look to sell a majority stake uh, to an investor so during that time from 2012 to 2015 uh, effectively what i did was run the business run the company and and get it to a stage where we could get external investors Now in 2012 also I met my current co-founder Rangu Salgame who joined the company Tata Communications as a very senior executive uh, and and my boss at that time and both of us worked together for this transformation of the data center business as well as to uh, to do the sale uh, to Temasek so that that entire experience of starting from a business carving it out of a larger company into an independent uh, operation investing in that business transforming it and then selling a majority stake was sort of the defining uh, event in my career at that stage and enabled me uh, and provided the platform to start Princeton. Let's go back to some of the sort of the main tenets then of, of of I think of our podcast about sort of how was this developing in terms of your career? What were you what were you learning right right now? So uh, Nick at still this point I had still been sort of very functional right so the first phase was sales the second phase was corporate development and M&A again different functions but still functional at this stage of my career i was learning to actually run a business and not only run a business but also run a business in a way that there is an external value realization event what i mean by that is that a lot of times when we when we get to run a business in a larger company 
it's very hard to define what that means in terms of shareholder value. But in my case, because we we sold a majority stake in that business uh, at the uh, you know at the end of that stint, uh, I got to see value realization, uh, which uh, which was very unique and taught me a lot about you know how how to de- deliver value to sh- uh, shareholders. You know, when we first sort of started talking about sort of uh, recording the podcast, um, I mentioned there was a couple of people who I wanted to talk to to get a bit more background on on who you are. And it's quite interesting because I spoke to one of one of your first employees, I think, at this sort of time of your career. And I, and I asked them, what did they think of some of the, the most unique traits of you? And this is this is what they said. They said, many people are good at executing and some are great. But Varun is best at creating the vision and great executors need for a spark. Do you think is that does that sound accurate? I mean, uh, I think I, I, um, I, I owe... Um said the person you spoke to, um, you know, something special for Christmas this year, uh, because he's been very kind to me. Uh, but, but you know, I, I think that the combination of vision and execution that he talks about here, I think that's, I couldn't say it better. I think that's very, very important. Having that combination, that capability is very important. And, and, and that vision has to be in a, in a, in terms, which is, uh, which, you know, is, is so clear that people can taste it. Right. I think that's important as well. So, uh, yeah, I do agree that that combination is important, and yeah, I, I would like to believe that you know I do have that combination. Where do you, is that something you've learned, or is that, or is this something a bit more intrinsic? I, I like to believe Nick that, and this is more philosophy or ideology than really based off of empirical knowledge, is that you can learn almost anything uh, that we're talking about here. So I like to believe that I've learned it largely through the range of experiences that I've had, uh, and I've also had the opportunities to develop these traits and. And therefore, uh, when you when you get a chance to do it, you do it. You are successful. It builds confidence. You know, allows you to do it again. So that virtuous cycle is has resulted in having the combination. So we're now sort of, I think, sort of heading towards uh, the end of uh, end of this chapter. By the sounds of things, I think this is this is starting off with uh, with you now packing a bag and heading off to another uh, different geography. That's right, Nick. So this is um, around so 2015 is when my wife and I decided uh, to start the next chapter of our life um, in another country. So we decided to up sticks and move to the US in New York. Uh, and um, and at that stage, the decision was sort of driven by two factors. One is that I sort of reached a logical conclusion of my stint in India, particularly with the successful transaction where we sold the business to um, uh, to Temasek, uh, to a Temasek unit. And, and I got to a stage where I felt like if I wanted to start something on my own, having experience in the U.S., particularly understanding how private equity firms work and how the, the, the world of capital works would be very useful. And also to round out my experience in, in both, for both my wife and I, we felt like it would be good for both of our careers to have experience in the U.S. as well. So that was a sort of very broad thesis of the reason why we decided to move. Both are companies that we were working on that at that point of time. My wife was working in American Express and I was in Tata Communications. Both of them were very supportive and uh, allowed us to uh, to coordinate a move to another country at the same time, which, which you know, all of all the folks listening would know how lucky it is to be able to coordinate a, you know, a double career family where both of you can get a good move to another country. So we were lucky enough to do that. But what does it mean for your career? What was... You mentioned about you thought it'd be positive, but what was it exactly that you were that you were looking for? Sure. So um, the the customers that we have in the data center business, uh, Nick, um, large proportion of those are U.S. 
technology companies. And they um, and these are the companies that are driving capacity utilization everywhere in the world. So whether that's in India, uh, whether that's in Indonesia, Singapore, even in China. So uh, getting closer to those customers and being in, in their milieu, uh, I felt was something that would give you a very strong grounding in understanding the customer a little bit better uh, and then be able to chart my next course, which at that point I already decided would be something that I do on my own, would be an entrepreneurial venture. Uh, but I want to make sure that I had a strong grounding in understanding what the customers do so that my venture is, uh, is designed towards serving their need. Okay, so were you you spend two years in New York, don't you, or the US? So was was that all about sort of planning for that next step? I mean, it, it, yes and no. So um, obviously, a large part of it was sort of taking what I had learned in 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 India in my stint running the data center business and uh, getting ready for the next step. But during that time, I also ran the media business for, for Tata Communications, which by itself was quite rewarding. But again, one of those things that, you know, has not necessarily led to something else in my career, but an experience that could have. So uh, so that continued, but but for large part, it was a stepping, uh, you know, staging area, if you will, that uh, we like to use that in our data, data center business, a staging area for the next step, uh, which was to start something on my own. Uh, so in 2017, uh, when I decided to leave and my co-founder, Rangu, was also in Tata Communications, both of us decided to leave and start this business together. At that point of time, both of, both of us were in New York. We had high visibility with private equity firms uh, who had seen what we had done with Tata Communications data center business and had the opportunity to do something on our own. So yeah, again, uh, some luck, some planning, but the end uh, result of all of that was, again, seemed to be in the right place at the right time. There's a really important question I, I'm going to ask you in terms about sort of how you did this. And, and there's no doubt people who will be listening to this who who work within a larger sort of corporate environment and have got that same ambition, but not quite sure about how they did it. But before I do, let me, because you mentioned sort of uh, Rangu, I've spoken to Rangu and I've, I've also sort of plugged him for a bit of background on, um, on you as well. Uh, now, this is what he described you as. He said that uh, you're curious, intelligent, a problem solver, but not afraid to venture into new territories. And it's that last part I wanted to quiz you on then, because clearly you're not afraid to venture into new geography. We talked about London, we talked about India, we're now in New York, um, and we know then to the, the, the next chapter then moves moves into, into Singapore. But if I talk about sort of, it's also about to realise a different type of, because uh, you're about to go start working for yourself, where do you get that boldness or sort of adventurous nature from? So, Nick, uh, I think one of the things that we often forget, uh, all of us, is that uh, we we kind of live a life of um, almost insane privilege in the sense that, you know, we're relatively well paid. Most of us, are, uh, you know, have don't have the obligations that require us to continue to uh, sort of do the nine to five or, you know, play, you know run the rat race, etc., so we have the option, most of us, and it's not true for everyone, but I'm saying for a lot of us, we have the option of actually stepping out and doing something. And the cost of failure is probably two years or three years of experience and learning, right? So at least for me personally, I just felt like at that stage, I had 12 years of, uh, of you know, essentially a corporate job behind me, a relatively well-paying corporate job where I felt like I, I could take 18 months or two years uh, on a single income, which was my wife's income, and we would we would not affect our lifestyle in any way, shape, or form. 
by by doing that. So it just felt like a no brainer at that stage. Uh, but for me, I think Nick, just having that that perspective of knowing that I have that safety net, if you will, uh, that if I wanted to come back and take a job after two years, particularly given an experience of a startup, even if it was a failed startup, um, I would be very well positioned. And I, I didn't feel like uh, it was a bad career move, even from a traditional sense. So that allowed me to go forth because I felt like the risk that I was taking uh, was really a uh, not a risk that had a very significant or existential exposure. I think that is incredibly inspirational, and I hope I hope we get we get lots of feedback from our from our guests, and just in particular about what you, what you've just just said and, and what that sort of how that sort of resonated uh, with them. But back on track, uh, I mentioned before I asked you that question about sort of something I thought was really really important about sort of how you went about starting that company, how you went about sort of divorcing yourself from this huge corporate sort of um, animal now in New York, and how you and Ranga uh, how you went about setting up. Princeton. Sure. So Nick, as uh, the first thing is that having a co-founder is a is a very big step in making a decision because uh, you know sometimes when you start something on your own you feel like you're crazy, but if there's even one more person who's as crazy as you, you just feel a bit more sane, or you can convince yourself you're more sane, uh, and that that helps. So I think I think having a co-founder um, in my case I was very lucky to have Rangu as a co-founder, but I'm saying. Even a co-founder is 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 very helpful and helps you do that. Uh, you know, take that step, uh, and I think that helped me. The other thing uh, also that helped me was that in Tata Communications, the company that I was leaving, uh, I had a lot of good relationships, particularly the CEO of Tata Communications, Vinod, who who who's also a mentor for me, who's also a mentor for me at that stage, and and I did this essentially with his blessing and his support because uh, he knew what I was doing in the last six months of my stint at Tata Communications. I was essentially transitioning out of the company, making sure that I was, you know, closing all the, you know, all the uh, loose ends uh, while setting myself up for the next phase. So that sort of managed transition helped me quite a bit as well. And having that 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 backing of my company, you know, just to say, hey, listen, you've done a great job here. Go do well, and you know, we are well visitors. I think that helped me a lot. And just personally, you know, I like to have those relationships. Again, part of my risk mitigation, if you will, Nick. If 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 one is being sort of uh, very specific. It's an ability, obviously, to go back if it doesn't work out. But for me, at least at that stage, it um, it felt good to get started in something new uh, when I had good support from you know what I was leaving, and I felt good about what I was leaving as well. So I think those the combination of having a co-founder and having a situation where it was a managed transition out helped me a lot uh, at that stage to get started. Okay, well, back again, back to the sort of the tenets of the podcast. Now, I talk about two types of chapters, accelerating and resting. Now, I must admit, you know, up until this point, it's very, very hard to identify any real resting chapter. But what is on the sort of the flip side, this is clearly an accelerating chapter for you, isn't it? Um, yes. Tell us a bit more about sort of the skills that you were learning and developing at this stage. I mean, uh, Nick, there's a lot of things that you take for granted when you work in a large company. Um, when you're on your own, when you get started, you know, everything from the purpose of what you're doing, like why you're doing something to the minutiae of your day-to-day, like setting up an email, everything becomes something that you have to experience. And, um, and for me, uh, you know, again, sort of going back to something else that I was saying, saying earlier, which is looking at things from a first principle basis and trying to figure out why to do something. This was just a great learning experience because everything from why should you uh, raise capital at the beginning of your journey, uh, to why should you focus on a particular business area to a particular region? All of that, you know, going through that decision making, that thinking, 
the discussion with my co-founder and then with my investors, all of that really uh, played to my strengths because in, in any case, even in a large corporate environment, that's how I was thinking about things. Uh, but to do that when you have to do it, which is when you are when you're doing your own startup uh, and to discover that, you know, this muscle that you've built over uh, so many years of, of being able to think through first principles and build something that's really valuable in what you're doing now, uh, you know, just, uh, felt very, very good and enabled me to uh, sort of go through that accelerating phase. And and you're right, this this phase uh, that started in 2017 is still ongoing is is a you know, hyper accelerating phase. Uh, you know, and I hope that that continues for a long time to come because the opportunity is so immense uh, that it's really only what our aspirations are and what we can do are, are the limit for us. Okay, so at the start of the podcast, I asked in terms of where where you'd got to now, and, and you know, for our our listeners, I I bet they are now listening, thinking now they understand how how you've been able to achieve so much in in such a short period of time. But if we between that sort of period of two thousand seventeen up until now. What do you think have been some of the, let's say, sort of the key lessons that you have learned and the tools that you need to establish in order to have built the business up until this time? So, so Nick, for me, the two things that stand out from all the things that we've done, and, and when you build a business and you talk to anyone who's built a business, uh, you do so many things that you sometimes lose count of what you're, what you're, what you're achieving and what you're learning and what's going on. Uh, but the two things that stand out for me that, that I feel uh, very proud of having done, but also learned a lot from is one is uh, we decided from day one to uh, partner with a private equity investor, Warburg Pincus. Uh, so working with them over the last three years and lately now that Ontario Teachers has also joined the family working with them. That's been a very interesting uh, learning experience for me uh, and very rewarding. And the second learning experience for me is that we decided very early on that we build a multi-country business from day one. So a lot of businesses, a lot of companies start in a particular country and then they expand into international territories. We did not do that. We decided on day one that we would open up our business and open up operations in multiple countries at the same time. And that uh, was for good business reason has really worked out for us. But from a personal learning perspective, it's, it's been immense as well. Uh, though that was not the objective or reason why we did it. But from a personal learning perspective, I'd say that that uh, doing that has been a very significant feature of the last three years. And for anyone listening, in terms of you know, how, let's let's start with that first that first sort of uh, diamond then of, of working with investors. You know, what's what was your your advice now, having having sort of spent the last sort of three years doing just that to anyone who might be in a similar position or considering that route? Sure. So, so Nick, for to be successful in that, I think it's really important to pick the right investor that works for your thesis and what you're trying to do. Uh, what I mean by thesis is that in any business, when you're trying to build a business, there is a, a you know a vision or an objective in terms of numbers. But underlying all of that is a basis of why do you think your business makes sense? What's the market like? What's the demand characteristic? What are the supply? Why is there a need for you to exist, etc.? That thesis uh, has to be something that is fully aligned with your investor. So when we partnered with Warburg, a lot of it was about ensuring that the thesis that we had in mind and what Warburg was thinking about was aligned. So there was a lot of co-development that happened at that stage. And I think that's uh, held us in good stead uh, since then. And in the same sort of theme of alignment, I think also ensuring the right kind of economic alignment between the investor and the founders is also very important. Again, that, this is basic, This everybody does it, but I'm just saying that it's so important in being successful because once you have a strong economic alignment and you have thesis alignment, execution um, as well as making decisions becomes much easier 
uh, because then all of you are focused on the same things. You're not asking sort of the why questions, but the how questions or the what questions, right? And that's what you want to get to a stage where it's all about how and what and not about the why. And, and that's been, you know, I, I'd say for anyone listening that if you want to make sure that you're successful, ensure you spend a lot of time upfront in uh, in getting that level of clarity uh, with your investors and your founders so that uh, you can all be pointing in the same direction, running at full speed. What I'd really like to do now is, is really sort of benefit um, from your experience, particularly when we're talking about data centers, because it's not a new industry, but it's certainly it's probably a, an industry within real estate that people know very little about unless they're fully immersed in it. So do you mind giving us a quick sort of headline sort of lesson for exactly what it, you know, what it takes to be successful in that data center industry? Sure. Uh, so Nick, uh, data centers are secure, reliable environments for your customers' equipment, your servers, and network gear. So when you think about building a business in the data center, uh, in the data center space, you are designing everything that you do towards creating that security, that reliability, the consistency for your customers. So that's very important. And, and I think a lot of folks in the real estate space get it, but it's important for, uh, for this to be front and center in how you think about building a business in the space. The second thing that's really important in the space is scalability. So one of the great drivers of opportunity in the data center space is the fact that there is more and more data that's being utilized. There's, you know, adoption of cloud is through the roof. People are using mobile phones, clicking video, all of the things that we know and, and hear about. All of that drives data center growth. But if you can't build scale, uh, you don't have a scalability roadmap, you can't continue to build scale, you can't keep up with the demand. So it's really important in this space to think scale from day one. So think about how um, you, you can, one, have larger sites, multiple sites, and multiple countries where you have multiple sites. And this is, again, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, uh, Nick, that the, the reason we decided to build a multi-country business from day one was also because it gave us the ability to build that scale in multiple dimensions. So I would say those two things are probably at the headline level that I talk about. Obviously, there are many things that matter once you get into the detail. Uh, the fact, you know, having the ability to raise capital uh, and deploy capital on a on an ongoing basis is very important uh, in this space, given it's so capital intensive. Having deep connections and relationships with the handful of customers who do all the buying that matters in this space is also very important. And, and being able to solve physical real-world problems of location, of construction, of operations, et cetera, is also very important. So building a strong operating team uh, that's very localized is also critical in this business. I think that's fascinating. I really do. Um, and I've got to say, as we're sort of heading to the end, the end of now, this is the recording, I've I found this both inspirational, but also sort of eye-opening, I think, from, uh, from your sort of views about sort of how you've built this career. And I have no doubt sort of our, our audience is going to really benefit from having this quite unique perspective. So thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Nick. It was a pleasure to speak to you and also gave me an opportunity to think back on my career, which a lot of us don't do that a lot. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to do that. Oh, you're more than welcome. The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join. 
quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.